0: good morning hope you guys are safe and well i just got back from cabo got a little too much sun but much in the vacation uh, happy to be back in the saddle give a few seconds for you guys to hop on and get the show on the road and logan can tell me who's Saying good morning because I, I still see Facebook users on the <laughs> site.
1: Good morning, guys. I'm oh, I see st- Gregory still hopping on as well, but I'll be able to see everyone hopping in in just a second. All right. Good morning, uh, Georges, Gregory, Anna, Raul. Good morning. Good morning.
0: Good morning, guys. All right, so this week we got a bunch of great questions from you guys, but please, I have a feeling we're going to run out of questions, so make sure you uh, post them uh, on the sidebar as they come to your mind, and I'll get to them as soon as we're done with this list. Hope you guys are safe and well, and I'm excited to have this session with you guys today. Um, I'm going to have Logan read the questions off to me, so... um, Let's uh, get the show started.
1: All right. And then we also had uh, Hannah hop in. Good morning. Russell, always good to see you, uh, Carlos and Arby. Great good. to see you guys. And our first question today is going to be from Luis Lemez. Um, it's good to hear from you also. It's been a while. He said regarding, uh, cash out refinance, you said two weeks ago that you bought the green Gables building in December, 2020 and refinanced mm-hmm. in March. Was that after the new measure or after what improvement was completed? Um, question mark. Yeah. Good morning, Luis.
0: Yeah, good question. Uh, I did remeasure the building and renewed the anchor tenant and also re- uh, re-slurried the parking lot and re striped it. And that's when we did the refinance. And uh, I think the value came a million bucks more. Um, one of the key factors with that property, guys, was I bought it you know, at a high cap rate and the broker mispriced it, clearly, Um, I bought it for almost a 10 cap, where the market over there is seven and a half, eight cap for a multi-tenant, great location, uh, multi-tenant office building. So that's how I made my money, aside from selling the rooftop at a six cap or a 5.8 cap, but really that was the uh, reason. Uh, what was his other question?
1: Uh, and then he had a few follow-up questions. First is, do you always do? Do you always cash out refi after a few months of ownership? And second, why always refinance and pay big closing costs and not wait for the final sell and get a big chunk all at once?
0: Yeah, great question. Well, the reason is because if you want to access your equity um, at the time of sale, uh, it's all taxable, right? So we call they call it boot. Uh, boot means you'll have part of your you will trigger part of your capital gain taxes if you touch the money uh, during the sale uh, the only way you do uh, tax free cash out refi is cash out refi to do it before the sale so uh, that's one way uh, to tap into the uh, equity you built uh, by adding value to the property do a cash out refi yeah there is cost involved but I don't do it Uh, all the time. Um, Sometimes I don't need the cash. I have enough liquidity and I just want to roll it into the next building because the next building is much, much bigger and I'll need the cash anyway as a down payment. So,
1: All right. Uh, And then we have our next question from David. He said, Manny, would you buy a property that has great cash flow? 10% 10% plus cash on cash, mm-hmm. but it has an encroachment issue, 10 feet on city land in Miami with a wall. If the wall was removed, it would negatively affect yep. the value. So basically, if I buy it, I'm taking the risk, the city says, to take it down later.
0: Yeah, absolutely. David, that's one you want to run. <laughs> uh, that's, that's the property we call it has too much hair on it and I don't even uh, exercise my due diligence on such property. Now, if it's selling for 20 bucks a foot at 20 cap, uh, yeah, I may look at it, but not at a 10% 10 return. Uh, That seems to be a very costly and risky proposition.
1: Okay, then we have our next question from George. He said, how does your approach change when you're buying a property for yield in places like Wisconsin or -hmm. other Midwest locations where you aren't as present and have less experience. Have you ever had a bad experience that hurt you on one of those deals?
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, you have to consider, you know, when you go out of a state, unless you're in that state, like Wisconsin, you know, you got Texas, you got Arizona, those are areas, uh, yeah, you find, uh, you know, a value add deal that also has a great cash flow um, like the deal in, you know, sunny side of Plaza. Um, how do I mitigate the risk? Well, you just have to do your homework and make sure the property has a lot of meat on the bone in terms of value add. Um, and in terms of if I had disaster, uh, scenarios, absolutely. Uh, I've bought property, for example, Pennsylvania, Waynesburg, Pennsylvania, a small town, where uh, I did not do my homework. I actually didn't even fly out to look at the building. Uh, this was 2007, 14 years ago. I bought it for 4.6 million. I had a little bit of 1031 exchange money left over and I had to pull the trigger. Uh, so I had a short fuse on timing. I went ahead, bought it. It's a small town. Uh, the density is not there. Uh, couldn't get a good broker to manage it. Um, so I've had, a lot of challenges with that property. And then I lost the anchor tenant. Long story short, you want to do your homework. That's why I have put the criterias uh, in my program for a property. Density is very important. Even if you go out of state, uh, you want to make sure the density is there. There is enough traffic uh, and there is enough demand. And also the disposable income is there. That's why I like the average household income to be above the average U.S. household income of 60000 um it's not a you know uh you know nail in a coffin for me but the density is the density is extremely important and those are type of areas you get in trouble uh when the density is not there you're not going to be able to get uh you know a quality broker to take the listing because it's probably too far and also you're not going to get you know reputable you know regional national tenants uh attention for that property because density is not there. They all work with the same criteria. They all want density.
1: Okay. And then we have a next question from Brad. He said, good evening, Manny. I finally got finance for my eight plex remodel, wasted four months trying to get finance through a local bank and my broker managed to get it in three weeks, a higher rate at 7.99, but it is for a remodel loan that can switch to a better rate once it's renovated. Now I'm looking at some empty office space. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know it's risky, but I do think people will eventually go back to office. And I wanted to get your take on this as I've been looking at a 50,000 square foot office block.
0: Well, uh, congrats on getting financing. Uh, you know, I do agree. People will go back to office, but I would uh, definitely stay away. Any uh, multi-tenant office building that's over four story. I prefer one to three a story garden style office uh those tend to be uh still in demand that there is leasing activity on those but anything four story and up uh is pretty much dead on on leasing activity at least in you know in orange county california uh so if you buy it at a deep discount and it's one to three floors and doesn't have a, a humongous deferred maintenance uh i absolutely agree i think there is a the risk reward is there for low-rise office.
1: All right. Next question is from Robert. He said, How do you find your deals? And which do you prefer between LoopNet, so online listings in general or brokers?
0: That's a great question. Uh Robert. Well, I would say probably 70% of my deals uh come through the network of brokers, email blast um i've built over the years uh typically these r- real estate firms they minute they take the listing they're going to do an email blast to all their principal you know uh contacts in their email network and i'm one of them and obviously i have a lot of different real estate firms that have done business with me over the past 30 years so i get you know 20 to 30 deals a day from all these different real estate firms. 70% I would say come from there plus the off-market deals that brokers call me directly. 30% I would say comes from publicly listed properties like on LoopNet, CoStar, Crixie uh, that my team pulls up or sometimes even I've uh, (laughs) pulled up one or two, you know. um, When I can't fall asleep, I'll hop on my laptop and start hunting for a property. But as you build your network with these brokers, you will get an increase in your deal flow over, you know, over time, but 70% comes from my network.
1: All right. Next question is from Jeremy. Um, it's his first question that he sent by email and the Jeremy, I see your question in the comments too. We'll get to that after we finish these. Uh, he said, if my first goal is to have $10,000 per month in passive income, -hmm. Approximately how many square feet of commercial real estate would be needed to obtain that number? And where would be the easiest market entry with roughly 200,000 at my disposal? Hmm. Good question. (laughs) Well, if you got 200
0: grand, uh, you know, on average, first of all, markets, I would say Texas, Arizona. I like those two markets. Uh, You should be able to find a property with, you know, uh, eight and a half, nine cap on a class B, class C. Small retail center, uh, not in a great neighborhood, but it gives you the yield you're looking for. Uh, the problem is, if you want ten thousand a month, that's hundred twenty thousand a year. If you divide that to two hundred grand, that's like uh, I don't know eighty percent rate of return. It's impossible to achieve that with two hundred thousand. But on, typically on a property class B C in those estates at a nine cap, with the rates you know in met threes to low fours, you can achieve an 18% cash-on-cash cash return um, and that would give you on 20,000, that's 30, uh, 200,000 is 36,000 a year, uh, 3,000 a month. So to achieve, uh, you know, 10,000 a month, I would say you probably need six to $700,000 uh, in cash. So 200 is is a good uh, good start. And you could find properties, you know, that have value add component to them. And, uh, you know, that would give you about probably uh, at 200000 you can probably find something for eight, nine 900000 a million maybe, and do some seller carry back, get creative. Um, it's going to be difficult. I'm not going to lie to you uh, to start with 200000 but it's possible to fill up that and eventually in three, four years, get to 700000 equity. And that's when you can achieve that 10000 a month. In terms of how many square feet, well, just call it, you know, if you need to buy, uh, you know, uh, something for $700,000 down payment, which would give you 10000 a month at 18%. Seven hundred divided by 0. 0.3, that's 30% down. That would be a $2.3 million deal. Average price for a class B.C. is about 70 bucks a foot. That would be 33000 a square feet. Give or take, it could be 25,000. It could be 40,000. So that's just a ballpark.
1: I probably lost
0: a few of you guys on there, but
1: yeah. (laughs) No, that's good. Uh, next question is from Ali. Um, so he said, situations like selling the roofs, selling come separately, usually Mm -hmm. happen much earlier than selling the building itself. How do you go about doing ten thirty one? because of timing, you can't combine the cell towers gain with the building itself. And it is not a large amount of separate 1031 either. All your gains from the cell of the cell tower would potentially be taxed. Ali, fantastic question,
0: but this is a tax question. I'm going to tell you what my CPA does. My CPA books it as an easement income and breaks it down to uh, what I collect per year. So it's not fully taxed on their lump sum, but console your uh, CPA. And as far as I know, it's an easement. So you got basically a rent, prepaid rent, that's allocated uh, and amortized. Uh, So as your CPA, my CPA amortized it over the 50 years and books it per year on my tax return. And 1031 exchange, you can go ahead and do 1031 exchange, and that easement um, is going to show as an amortization separately in your tax return. But please... Do not take my word for it. Uh, This is a tax question. You should consult your CPA.
1: All right. And then we have a question from Harash. He said, regarding your non-refundable deposit strategy, does this go hard immediately once you make the deposit? Um, Mm -hmm. Are there any inspections, appraisals, or documents that you need to review, uh, like leases, prior to this money going hard? Absolutely. Well,
0: you know, the, the conditions for your non-refundable deposit it can be customized to anything you want typically a non-refundable deposit up front is for physical condition of the property right if there is any misrepresentation let's say they put the lease income for suite 100 is five thousand a month on the rent rule and then you find out no it's actually three thousand a month and five thousand a month is, they're, you know, uh, at renewal in a year. So that's clearly grounds for you to get your deposit refunded. Uh, but for physical inspection, you can go and do all your inspections. But if you're writing a non-refundable deposit up front, you can kiss that money goodbye if you're trying to retrade the deal based on physical condition of the property. But the deposit, nevertheless, is refundable, even though it says non-refundable, is refundable if the seller defaults seller still has fiduciary responsibility to present to you in good faith, you know, accurate information on the property, as well as provide, at closing, a clear title, right? And if he cannot uh, provide those uh, clear title, if there is a tax lien on there, he cannot cure, or there is any issues that seller can uh, bring a clear title of closing, well, your deposit is refundable, even though it says non-refundable. So these are all conditions. You make sure you have a good attorney to set, uh, you know, all the terms in the PSA, and uh, very critical to make sure you cover your bases in case the seller does, you know, gross negligence on presentation or cannot deliver the property to you at closing uh, with clear title. But um, Those usually your risk is with environmental issues you discover or physical inspection of the property. Those are, your basically waiving those.
1: Got it. So our next question, we're gonna hop over to the comments now. Uh, Starting off with Jeremy for his second one of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, He said, when you do a cash out refinance before you sell a property, do you put that cash toward your next deal or is that your play money?
0: Uh Well, it's at your disposal, uh, your discretion. Normally, I uh, put that in my reserves and sometimes I buy a car, sometimes I do improvements on a property with it, um, and sometimes I pay for TIs on another project. So it just goes into my reserve pile.
1: Okay, then we have a question from Hemi. Uh, He said, once a property meets your initial screening criteria, can you walk us through due diligence steps? Um, and then to follow that up, Hemi, we do have a due diligence document um, mm-hmm. in the members area in your side of returning portal. You go in there under the resources section, you'll find that, but I'm sure Manny can touch on it more. Sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, there is a long list of due diligence items I recommend you get, uh, you know, from the listing broker and the seller, but the main items are obviously your leases, lease abstracts. Um, you have your, uh, P&Ls, you know, financials for last three years, but definitely for the last two years plus the year to date. Um, you also want to get any CAM reconciliation reports for past two years. If the property has any pass-through income, by that I mean if it's triple net lease or modified gross, that the tenants are reimbursing the landlord for a portion of the operating expenses. Those are very important for you to audit. I've had situations where the seller was overcharging tenants. And I took over the ownership. And then, next thing you know, uh, one smart uh, tenant uh, did an audit and then uh, they triggered a big refund to all the tenants. And, you know, the previous owner is gone. So it was a big, uh, you know, blow to me because I had to cut a big check. But that's super rare. But it's important to get those so you can audit those, make sure the the owners, doing it properly. Uh, some of the other items are obviously environmental report phase one um, and a phase two, if there is one. Uh, previous uh, property condition report. If the seller recently refinanced, they probably have a third party reports that their lender uh, performed and re- required. So you wanna definitely get those. Uh, not all sellers are uh, open to give you those, but you should ask for them. Uh, those are some of the main ones. There's a lot more on the list. So like Logan says, uh, check the site and you can go ahead, download the list from there.
1: Okay. Then we have our next question from Chris. He said, good morning, Manny. What asset classes are you bullish on right now? And when do you think we should see distressed assets? Good morning.
0: Um, well, I like multi-tenant office, retail. Right now, I'm staying away from industrial Um, and the distressed part of the real estate asset class, I would say is that anything over a four-story multi-tenant office is going to have a very hard time. Definitely high-rises. I'm seeing some class A high-rises very close to me actually in Irvine uh, and Santa Ana area coming to market and a lot of them are going back to the mortgage servicers. So you'll definitely see some foreclosures on that uh, on that site. Um, aside from that, uh, you know, most of the re- small retail are doing fantastic. Um, as small office buildings like the one I sold in Arizona, four story multi-tenant office, they're doing great because those tenants are, you know, uh, in those buildings are not as worried about getting to elevator, they use the staircase. So. I think those asset classes will do great because you're going to have a lot of tenants migrate from high-rise from vertical buildings into low-rise office garden style. So that's going to, that's a transition I'm seeing. And so the best opportunity is going to be the high-rises and in the next two, three years, I believe uh, tenants will go back to high-rises once we get over this pandemic and uh, viruses. But, Who knows? Maybe this is a (laughs) new trend. We're going to have a new virus every year. Nobody knows.
1: All right. And then he followed it up with another question. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically just getting more context. He said, I've been sitting on the sidelines for the purchase of real estate and I'm getting eager and Mm -hmm. to start purchasing now, but I'm concerned that a good deal now might not be a good deal six months from now. What are your Mm -hmm. thoughts?
0: Well, I would, again, focus on a small retail center that you can out maybe a tenant in the corner, like the one we're doing with Sunnyside uh, Plaza, or buy a one to three-story, maximum four-story multi-tenant office that you can add value, is being misrepresented or grossly mismanaged. Um, I would focus on those two only in this market because I don't see a downside risk uh, going that direction but if you go anything over four plus story with substantial vacancy or, you know, spaces um, on sublease, you're gonna have a very hard time in the next three years. And that's where the value is. But if you wanna go ahead and pull the trigger, as we speak right now, those are the two asset classes I would focus. A smaller multi-tenant office, low rise, or a small retail that you can out parcel portion of it, or, you know, Uh, You know, uh, slice portion of it and sell it off at a lower cap if it's a credit tenant and, uh, you know, create value that way.
1: All right. And then, uh, Tim, good to see you here. He said, the Wisconsin retail property you're purchasing, what city is it located in? Oh, man. Don't ask me hard questions. uh, Kenosha, I believe.
0: Kenosha. There you go.
1: Kenosha, Wisconsin. All right. The next question is from Jeremy. Uh-huh. He said, is it common in commercial leases for the tenant to be obligated to reimburse the owner for costs such as external paint and roof repair slash replacement?
0: No, unless you're on an absolute triple net lease. Um, typically on triple net lease that you are, you know, obligated to pay common area. Um, you know, property tax insurance those are the three nets uh, anything on a structure roof uh, is typically not part of a reimbursable uh, um, you know expense uh, but if it's absolute triple net uh, an absolute net basis lease every single item on that property even a roof a structure is built back to tenant
1: all right robin said you could write a whole article on this non-refundable deposit strategy i think it's a good idea um and then the next one is from russell he said hi manny i'm about to complete a fixer upper house congrats with principal repayment type mortgage uh when i come to flip the house is there a good way to perhaps upgrade to two houses both on interest only payment Oh well, yeah i mean
0: no point of paying down principal when you know, you're borrowing at such a low rate. I just refinanced, you know, uh, a second home I own. I got 2.25 on a seven years interest only. It's like free money. So, uh, yeah, if you can convert to two homes, do IO on it? Absolutely.
1: All right. And then, uh, we have a question from Chris following up on what you mentioned earlier and asked why are you staying away from industrial?
0: well industrial is doing really great <laughs> and i don't like asset classes are doing fantastic because there is really no upside other than just the trend that's going up um and i like properties that have a little bit of uh, meat on the bone in terms of value add and i find it very difficult to find those uh type of deals in industrial they're pretty stabilized and I don't like fully stabilized assets.
1: All right. And that is all the questions and comments that we have. Uh, We can give it another short little bit, 10, 15, 30 seconds and see if anyone else hops in. And if not, we'll go ahead and wrap it up a little early today. You got it. (laughs) Manny, when do you think that the opportunity is gonna be there? on four-story-plus high-rises. Do you have any ideas also for what to do when that time of opportunity comes? Well, yeah. You know, the
0: cost base is going to get reset. Uh, right now, there's two high-rises called Griffin Towers in Santa Ana. It's 500,000 square feet. And ownership uh, cost base is over 300. The mortgage servicer is taking it out, you know, to the market at 250 a foot for high-rise. That's replacement cost is 500 bucks a foot. So I'm already seeing that, but even for me, I wouldn't be jumping out and buying the two towers right next to me at 250 a foot. I mean, at 200 bucks a foot, yeah, I can manage to buy it and substantially reduce the rental rates to attract tenants and then just weather the storm. In three to four years, it will be worth 400 bucks a foot. So it's coming. <laughs> you got to be patient, yeah.
1: Do you think that the foreclosures that are hitting the market now and that fit that criteria are mm-hmm. going to continue to drop in pricing over the next couple years? Oh yeah. Of years
0: oh, yeah. yeah. I job? mean, in 2008, you know, recession, you then market didn't bottom out on office buildings till 2011, you know, 2010. So it takes two to three years and the pandemic happened last year. So yeah, I would say a couple of more years, you're probably going to see the bottoming out process.
1: Gotcha. Um, and then Chris did have one more follow-up question. He just was asking, what are your thoughts on multifamily? Multifamily is a great
0: place to park your money. Um, it's safe. I think rents will uh, keep increasing and going up. Uh, but there is not enough uh, value add for me in those uh, asset class. I've never found one at least in you know in the markets I'm looking that I could buy and increase the rents 20 thirty percent or lease up any vacancy. Usually they're all fully leased. So there is not enough meat and action for me to jump into that asset class. It's great to park your money though.
1: Got it. And then, uh, last question for the day from George's unrelated question. What are all those Bugatti posters on the far side of your desk? Ah, well,
0: you know, Nate, um, came up with this, uh, you know, uh, uh, posters because a lot of people are asking me that one picture of my Bugatti Chiron. So I autographed, I think 200 of them. And, you know, he's gonna sell them on the new website that we're uh, putting together. So uh, I'll post on my social media so you can swipe up by a poster if you guys wanna buy it.
1: All right, uh, we do have time for one more. So hit me up. Oh, we had a lot come in. Let's see. Robin asks, what price point will these opportunities be at for four story plus high rise office buildings?
0: Oh, depends on the market. Uh, it could be 20 bucks a foot in Houston. Um, I bought some buildings for 20 bucks a foot in Great Recession. Uh, if it's in California, it could be 120 bucks a foot. This building I bought in Recession 2011 for 420 bucks a foot. And now it's worth 400 bucks a foot. Depends on the, which market all right all right guys uh this was great uh thank you for attending this session and if you do have more questions you didn't you know didn't come to your mind go ahead post on the facebook group and we'll get to it uh after the call with that be safe be well